Hello and welcome to Dragon Talk, the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I am Greg Tito, and I am not joined by Shelley Mazenoble. I have Mr. Jeremy Crawford here. Hello, everyone. How's it going? It's great. Thanks for jumping in and uh, co-hosting uh, on these uh, this this introduction with me. You know, I always love coming in and talking with you. Exactly. Yeah, we were going to do a sage advice uh, with you, but we're going through and uh, you're introducing our segments uh, for for this day. So thank you. This is a lot of fun for me. Yeah. Uh, we uh, just had an awesome event uh, that I was at honoring uh, you as an outstanding voice uh, by the Puget Sound Business Journal's uh, Business of Pride. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. You did such a great job uh, being photographed. <laughs> Because, <laughs> yeah, for, for those of you joining us, we were just talking about the fact that this photograph makes it look like I maybe ate a small dog before, <laughs> before the photo shoot. Maybe a medium-sized yeah. dog. It's hard to tell. Yeah, it's like I, I, I look in the photo. Uh, it's a great photo, but I look like 10 to 15 pounds heavier than I actually am in real life. I'm showing it for the people on Twitch you can see uh, potentially. Uh, I don't think so at all, but it is a great write-up uh, about your work. Uh, bringing in uh, LGBTQ characters to Dungeons and & Dragons and, and making sure uh, that, I, I, as you said in, in the interview portion of the stuff uh, last night at the event, um, that uh, there are characters that are like you in, in our stories. Yes, yeah. I mean, that is, ever, ever since uh, I was made one of the creative leads for 5th edition, it was important for me that not only in the core books, but in our later stories, uh, we would make it clear that characters of all types can appear in our stories, and then even more importantly, by extension, players of all types are welcome at the D&D table. And that isn't just something I'm passionate about for other people. It's also, I mean, as you pointed out, it's, it's personal for me, right. uh, you know, because, you know, growing up, uh, as as a gay lad, it was it was pretty common for me to you know read a story or play a game, and there wouldn't be a single gay character in in the entire story. And right. so it can be really powerful for people uh, if they've never seen uh, a character like themselves uh, in a story, especially these heroic fantasy stories we love telling in D anD. d if they've never seen themselves before, you know, it's like you can still enjoy it, but it doesn't have the same power as when there's a character you identify with and then you start thinking, I could be a hero like that. I could fight injustice in that way. I could, you know, shine light into the shadows the way these characters have done. Or on the flip side, since sometimes in D&D things can go dark, uh, it can also actually be cathartic to see characters where you might have a glimmer of you in them doing villainous things mm. because sometimes we use storytelling as a way, I think, to almost like work out our inner demons. Uh, I mean, I sometimes observe what the choices we make in D&D games and it's like, woo, we would not do that in real life. Right. But here we are at the game table. And it's fun to see like the thought experiment of like what, you know, uh, what would happen if those choices were made. Exactly. And, and – People of all types want to have that experience, to have that liberty of stepping into D&D and getting to play in that way. Now, someone listening might be thinking, well, couldn't people, you know, going all the way back to the 70s when D&D came out, couldn't they always have played uh, LGBT characters? Yeah. Of course they could. I mean, many of us did. That's not the same as seeing a glimmer of yourself in the official product. Yeah. Uh, and that... That experience of being forgotten, if it's never happened to you, can it can be hard to identify with sometimes. Yeah. You know, sometimes I'll see people online say, well, you know, why is this a big deal? 
But what I would encourage them to do is if, if, they have a, if they're having a hard time understanding this feeling of wanting to be included, mm-hmm. think about a time it, you might have to, in your thinking, go all the way back to when you were a little kid. Think about some time when you really wanted to be involved in something and you were left out mm-hmm. uh, where, or you didn't get the credit you thought you deserved or you just felt overlooked in some way. Now imagine having that feeling on a mass cultural level almost every day of your life. And then you'll start to have a sense of what it can be like, especially for people who are in parts of our country and other parts of the world where it's actually dangerous, like literally dangerous for them to be out as LGBT people, where they could be arrested or killed. Uh, and, you know, and even in our country, like some of us are fortunate to live in areas like Seattle where we can live open, happy, yeah. uh, accepted lives like many other people. But there are parts of even the United States where people fear for their safety. Uh, and so that's why I think it's important in our fantasy stories, not just in D&D, but I hope it, to see more and more games do the same uh, to make it so that people can see a little bit of themselves. They can, even if their life is lousy, even if they don't feel seen yeah. and they might not even feel safe in their everyday life, if at least in these wonderful fantasy worlds they go to with their friends, they feel like there's a place for me. And you, I'm seen. And you had mentioned the, you know, the heroic characters as well as the villainous characters, but I think one of the most recent examples in Waterdeep Dragon Heist were the mundane characters. There's, yes. There's Avi and Embrick uh, who own a, uh, a, a weaponsmith and an and a armory together. And I, for whatever reason, it has just been very much a, a common occurrence in my a game that I'm running uh, that the characters will check in with them and they'll order some things. And it's just a very... And then it's gotten to the point where like, oh yeah, we'll go talk to that couple uh, that has that shop down the road and we'll get some, some, some weapons and some armor. And it just ends up being part of the fabric of, of the city of Waterdeep. And I love that, that it just, you know, they're just there and it's part of it. And, and that... And I love hearing that because one of our goals all along has been to be very matter-of-fact about it. Yeah. Like, we don't, we don't clang pans in our books to say, you know, behold, a gay character is about to appear. <laughs> you know, no, it's like, no. We treat them as matter-of-factly as we treat our other characters. Yeah. Uh, because we feel that part of the glory of, a, of creating a fantasy world is these characters can exist without the homophobia and transphobia that exists in our own world. <laughs> it's a fantasy world. It's a fantasy all. world. They, they can just be matter-of-factly present like anyone else. And that's why in many of our books, you know, you mentioned Dragon Heist. Uh, there are also people in, say, Storm King's Thunder, where we mention the same-sex couples just mixed in with the opposite-sex couples, and we don't give them any sort of special recognition. It's just they're there along with everybody else. Uh, they are a matter-of-fact part of this D&D this experience of this community. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's how we want people to experience them. You know, the, without, you know, it doesn't need a kind of big special, you know, hey, look. It's, right. it's like, no, they're just, they're here. It's part of the fabric, and I really like that. Yeah. Because for, for many of us uh, in the real world, you know, we're just here. <laughs> we don't. We don't, we don't need a because it, it's funny. Sometimes people will ask me, "Well, you know, does there need to be a special story reason for an LGBT character to appear in whether it's a D and D story and another story?" And my answer is always, "No. 
I didn't need a special story to walk into this room. You know, there, <laughs> right. there wasn't a special announcement of, hark, a gay approaches, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the banging of the pants. Yeah, yes, exactly. Still, yeah, it's right. like, no, I am just matter-of-factly here like everyone else is. There doesn't need to be a special story. Right. Uh, and uh, I love that. And I, I, I love that there was a, an event last, last night honoring uh, all, of, all of the work that you've been doing, just making that uh, be apparent. And um, uh, it's, you know, it's a big part of what I love about this, this D&D community uh, is being as inclusive and bringing people from all walks of life, from all backgrounds, all uh, are welcome playing this game because it is all about taking on the shoes of, of other people uh, and, and, and providing empathy for, for characters who are different than you are. And, and nothing really does that uh, quite like Dungeons & Dragons does. And uh, I just want to make sure we have our guest uh, coming on later for the interview portion of this podcast. Uh, um, Alice Cleaver, uh, who has made a big point about bringing in new folks uh, from uh, uh, other communities or, or are new to Dungeons & Dragons or tabletop role-playing games in general. Uh, and I loved in all that conversation, it was always about, like, it doesn't matter who you are or where you came in from or any kind of negative experience you might have had with uh, uh, with the hobby or gaming in general uh, to be a, to, to join at the Scraticus Academy and be a big part of that. And so uh, look for that interview uh, after this. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's been very exciting. And one of my favorite things about the D&D community, especially after uh, we just kind of all got together at D&D Live, uh, and uh, uh, got to celebrate not only the community and the creativity of the of, of uh, cosplay and the storytelling and all of the games that were being played there, but then the fact that we get to celebrate this new story yes. uh, that's coming out. Uh, Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. Our journey to hell. Are we going to hell? Yes. Uh, there is a lot there. A whole ton there. Uh, be, <laughs> well, because I, I'm thinking about it, and it's like not only do you get to go to Avernus, but we also have our massive section in that book on Baldur's Gate. Yes. Which, now that Baldur's Gate 3 has been announced, yes. we, can, we can also point out a little more why, why we're going to Baldur's Gate. Because also we knew this video game was coming. <laughs> <laughs> which we couldn't talk about uh, at uh, D&D Live. I know, right? There was a lot of like getting to it. And I'm so, I, you know, oddly, no one asked uh, at the event as to like, hey, there's a video game series that's about this city. Uh, and now hopefully people are going to be able to put one and one together yep. equals uh, uh, 666. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm very excited because there's a whole section in uh, Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus that is just a gazetteer about what ha- is happening in the city. Yeah. Yeah. And meant to really be a little mini campaign setting. Yeah. So, you know, even if a group decides, eh, we don't, we're not interested in going to Avernus and seeing what's going on there, well, you still have this whole Bal- Baldur's Gate gazetteer that you can pick up and build your own campaign there. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people know and love that city due to, you know, obviously the, the video game, as you mentioned. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a huge tapestry to jump in there with characters like Minsk and Boo and all these other, uh, uh, you know, lore things that we're going to be highlighting on Lore You Should Know over the next few months if, if we haven't already. So um, that uh, adventure is coming out uh, September 17th. It has two covers available. Uh, one is by uh, Tyler Jacobson, who has done amazing work on D&D since 5th edition uh, uh, with, uh, I believe he did the Monster Manual as well as the Player's Handbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dungeon screen uh, reincarnated has that amazing image that he did of uh, the Red Dragon going across it. Uh, and he uh, took on uh, dramatizing the character of Zeriel uh, in on the cover for for the standard cover of uh, Baldur's Gate: Descent into Avernus, and then we have an alternate cover uh, by Hydro seventy four, who did uh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything as well as Volo's Guide to Monsters. 
Um, I, I can't, I can't pick which one I like better. I think they're both so good, those covers. And that keeps happening when we do these alternate covers where, you know, for a moment, like, well, which one do I like better? I just love them both. I know, right? Can I collect them all? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, speaking of which, we have uh, Ghost of Salt Marsh on shelves now. Uh, it is a deep dive into uh, aquatic storytelling. So nice, very nice pun there. Yeah. I like to, yeah, we got to use it while we can. Yes. Um, we are, we are, we're, we're, we're going deep here. We're plunging the depths. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting, we're getting wet. Uh, I don't know. I can't, no more. <laughs> uh, but this, there are, this book is going to make you damp with content. <laughs> <laughs> because of the seawater. Right, exactly. We're not going to be waterlogged uh, or anything. Um, but yes, it's got uh, tons of adventures that you can pull out uh, individually and play if you are uh, want to spice up your game with some nautical play, uh, or you can run it as a campaign through uh, 12 levels if that was your your jam. And there's also a gazetteer about the village of Saltmarsh uh, in the world of Greyhawk. Uh, there's lots of references to, to Greyhawk uh, type of uh, goings on, uh, but it's not necessarily a brand new setting. It's just more of a setting uh, agnostic uh, uh, way to jump into what's happening uh, on, on, the, on the high seas. And there's also a appendix all about the sea and how to run uh, sea vessels and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, that, there are some really wonderful aquatic adventure locations in that appendix. Uh, you know, underwater places, place a, up, you know, up, up out on the high seas. Mm-hmm. It's another example. It's funny. I just realized we keep doing this where it's sort of like, well, if you don't want to run the adventure, here's this awesome thing at the back that you can use to build uh, your own fun stuff. Because I, many of our DMs are are essentially hobbyists. And love building their own things. Uh, and so often we'll provide, you know, here's the main story, or in the case of Ghosts of Salt Marsh, here are multiple stories, but then here's a toolkit too if you want to build your own. Yeah. I love that, that you know, multi-pronged attack for, for books like this because you're right. People might not want to run it whole cloth, you know, from, from back to front and just be like, this is the campaign I'm running. Or even from front to back. Or even from front to back. <laughs> <laughs> But Not now I want to now I want to try out your campaign, Greg. You, you start at the end, and, and it's like that movie Memento. Yes, it's like in media res. Like yes. you start at the end, and then yep. like record scratch. I bet you're wondering how we got here. Um, yeah, <laughs> maybe I've been. Yeah, whatever. Uh, it's. Uh, we so that there's all these different ways that you can uh, use the material that's in there, and it's, it is uh, I, I think what makes these books worthwhile for both players, DMs, anybody who is just a fan of the hobby in general. They can use the tools as inspiration and uh, uh, use it for their home worlds. Something that's not even set in the Forgotten Realms. There's so much there uh, to be had, and, and that was uh, been the philosophy I think for fifth. Yeah, pretty absolutely. much since the the core rule books, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have always wanted to empower people to either. Use the thing we have made for you, or basically rip it apart for parts, yeah. uh, and and you know build your own hot rod. And I mean that's why you know the core books are filled, especially the DMG with so many tools for people to take and build their own goodies. Uh, but then we do that in book after book after book uh, since the release of the core books. And uh, it, it continues on, as we were just saying, with, with Baldur's Gate because there is so much you can just pull apart and, and use uh, for, for whatever story you want to tell. Yeah. 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 And including if you want to do hell but tell your own story, there's also a lot of really juicy stuff there. I say that uh, as a DM who, you know, at D&D Live was just DMing in Avernus 
And it was gratifying to me putting, taking my game designer hat off and putting my DM hat on that I was able to take uh, the book and go to the section on Avernus and there were enough just general guidelines on here's what adventuring is like in Avernus. I was able to take that and really quickly build the little adventure that I ran uh, at uh, D&D Live. Uh, people might w- be wondering, you know, well, does that little adventure appear in the book? It doesn't, but Mad Maggie, the central NPC I played, she is definitely in the book. And your your portrayal of Mad Maggie was uh, 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 chef kiss. <laughs> Joy. <laughs> so <Thank> good. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I could honestly play hags all day long. I'm I mean, so glad we got to... to Put, put you on a stage and have you play a hag because I've, you know, I've played a few sessions with you as, as a hag and uh, uh, it is extremely memorable. Uh, and so I'm glad that uh, the, the greater public got to experience that. I, maybe a, a, a PG-13 version of the hags. Yes, yes. For, for those of you who have not experienced the, my private DMing as a hag, their language tends to be a bit saltier. Yes. <laughs> then I, I, there were actually... Uh, and I noticed this. I just poked in and looked at a few bits of video from the game I ran. Yeah. And I can spot the parts where I was pausing ever so slightly because I, I had to edit myself <laughs> live where I was just about to say something really, really not PG-13 and I had to quickly cut it off before it came out of my mouth. So. Oh. So I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so at some point we could do a, a director's cut of, nice. of Mad Maggie. We'll do Jeremy After Dark. <laughs> yeah. <Yes. laughs> <As> Mad Maggie. <laughs> uh, that'll be fun. Uh, so um, we have already spoken about uh, what goes on with the Warlords uh, for a Lori Chano segment with Adam uh, and... Uh, let's go now to another segment uh, in which he talks about uh, kind of the, the the stuff leading up to what is happening in uh, uh, Vernus with uh, the Hellrider. So let's uh, let's go with some bings and bongs and listen to Alori Chanel. Welcome to another Lore You Should Know segment. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Adam Lee. Hello, Greg. Hello. Uh, Today on Lore You Should Know, where we talk about little bits of Dungeons & Dragons lore for fun and profit in your D&D game, we just announced uh, Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. Yes, uh, there is a lot in Avernus and things go in there, but the, on the material plane, uh, there was a group... Uh, in the Forgotten Realms called the Hellriders. Yes. And we are going to find out about them and what they do right now. Dun, 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 dun. So the Hellriders, um, this lore is goes way back. Uh, I think second edition is when we oh, start wow. first hearing little smatterings of it. But I could be wrong. But uh, that's uh, sort of my knowledge of it. And um, <laughs> that's not what Chris does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, it was in dungeon number 72, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, pulling this from his yeah. memory. And I'm like, I don't know how you And he that. probably wrote it. You know, yeah. I was like, <laughs> exactly. yeah, I just wrote it one day. And, yeah. It's amazing how he knows every issue of dungeon. I magazine. don't get it. I don't I, know how he does it. It's, it's this, uh, it's not even strange anymore to me because I'm it's, just like, oh, that's just what Chris does. Yeah. It's uncanny. He's, I've just ceased to see how miraculously weird that is. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Me too. <laughs> uh, so, but in any case, you're right. Second edition. Yeah. Was where this began, and there's like little bits of the this group called the Hell Riders, and um, basically what they did was, um, you know, got together and rode into hell and fought 
uh, fought in Avernus and uh, tried to beat back the devils there. Um, and so they actually went into the plane of yeah, hell? Yeah, they actually and that's why they were called Hellriders? Yeah. So, um, and w- these... Um, these uh, these warriors, uh, we decided when we're coming up with like, okay, we know we're going to go and, and do an adventure in Avernus and all that. Um, let's try and flesh out a little bit more about who these characters were and what they what they were all about and how it all came to pass. So, um, so the deal was is that um, we we kind of put in there that that they were actually led by Zariel and that. Um, Zariel, who was at that point an angel, and she was part of the celestial hierarchy, and she decided one day that she's tired of just watching the blood war from afar, and she was right. like, because um, we we had talked about it on a previous Lord you should know segment about like how she was a celestial that was yeah. tasked with basically going to the first plane to be like watch yeah just and, watch don't interact don't interact so she sees the human beings and she says these short lived creatures. Um, are very intense. They do accomplish so much in their lifetime. I'm going to go down and I'm going to kind of take a page from their playbook yeah. and I'm going to take matters in my own, own hands and go to be action. So she goes down and she trains these soldiers to become this crack squadron of hell-fighting uh, warriors. And so she drills her way <laughs> and saws through the wall and gets through the sheetrock. And she's like, oh, yeah. Point. yeah. Now <laughs> you're warriors. Now yeah. you're warriors. So, um, so, yeah, she takes the Hell Riders and uh, she, she trains them up and then they, they ride into Hell. Um, and the deal is, is that they get in there and we're going to say that they got betrayed. Mm. Um, that they, as they ride in, there, uh, there was some kind of... Either it could have been they chickened out, like a bunch of Hellriders chickened out and they came back, or they um, they were betrayed by a, a nefarious evildoer, mm-hmm. or they could have been they could have been a plan by Asmodeus a long time ago that he's like, I foresaw this all, and now I'm going to trap some of you in there it's because he saw Zariel as an angel and he wanted to corrupt her. We're going to leave that up to everybody else. But what happens is that. Most of the Hellrider, or they weren't the Hellriders then, they were just this awesome army. Most of them turn back and they go back through the portal, back to the material plane, and they okay. seal it behind them, trapping Zariel and a good portion of her force in Avernus okay. to, to rot. Now, this is a shameful act, but the Hellriders, um, they, they ride back to Elturel, which is sort of their, their home base, mm-hmm. and they're hailed as heroes and they keep this thing a secret. They say, we're not going to tell anybody what happened here. Mm. We're just going to go back and we're going to say, we went into hell, we, we dealt a, a significant blow to the devils, and now we are coming back um, as, as conquering heroes. Okay. Were they all like paladins or were these just warriors at the time? They were just warriors. So in Elturel later, um, so when they get back to Elturel, they, they keep the shameful secret. And, and is Ariel still with them? No, Zariel is trapped in Avernus. They seal the portal behind them. And they're just like, screw this. And, they and seal it. by they, is there anyone who's like a speaker for them or is it just a collective? No, there's no, sp- there's no speaker. It's just kind of like a, a group of people and they just sort of make a deal with each other. Now, what are the, what are the numbers here? Just so I can kind of, is it like hundreds or is it tens? It's hundreds. Okay. Yeah, it's hundreds. And but not um, thousands. Not no, like not a, thousands. Okay. It was a very small number um, that went in there. So th- when they come back, uh, 
they are then dubbed the Hell Riders. Before that, they're just this this army that goes in. Mm-hmm. And but when they come back, they're like, "Oh, you guys are great. You're the Hell Riders." You know, you know, and all these bards now start writing tales about their their you know sojourn into hell and how they defeated you know a bunch of devils and they came back victorious. You know, from their their battle. Um, but they know the Hell Riders know that they've they kind of betrayed their friends and they they sealed the portal and they they either chickened out or um they believed somebody who you know told them a tale and said hey um you know whatever you should turn back you should turn back right so um so they go on now from that point on Elturel then becomes even more of this now they've got this hellrider um sort of myth that's mm-hmm. going on, and Elturel even becomes even more this sort of holy city. Now, where is Elturel in the Sword Coast? So Elturel is about um, if you go and Baldur's Gate is right on near the coast. Elturel is about three hundred so miles inland okay. or east, like directly east um, of, of Baldur's yeah. Gate. So the river, there's a river Chianthar, and it goes along. So you just follow that river along, and then you'll get to Elturel. Got it. So they're kind of sister cities. Um, they do trade back and forth on the river. Right. 300 miles sounds like a lot. But it's a lot, yeah. But on the river, it's easier to traverse. Yeah, and there's not really much in between those two cities. There's like little weird, you know, ruins and, and some little villages and some no mining towns and things like that. But right. nothing significant like Baldur's Gate, Elthrell, the two big cities. So so the the Hellriders are, are then a, a band of warriors that have this sort of um, this, you know, this past that says, you know, we are these tough, hard scrabble warriors who were brave enough to ride into hell when nobody else would, and we came back with the with this this victory. And now, hell riders, if they are chosen by a god and then they become paladins, they turn into the companions. And the companions are this elite force of paladins that are in Elthrell. Mm-hmm. So those ones are, um, you know, every every Hell Rider either wants to stay a Hell Rider, or the ones that join the Hell Riders. Then they eventually are like, we want to do our time in the Hell Riders, and then eventually become so good that we become chosen by a god, and then we can become paladins, and then join the companions. I see. So it's almost like a hierarchy type. Yeah, thing. and the companions are are named after. Like later on in Elturel's history, after the Hellriders and all that stuff, later on, um, Elturel's taken by a, a vampire uh, lord and, you know, thrown into darkness and it's like, l- looks terrible. And that's when there's this star that arises up above Elturel mm. and it's called the Companion. And that star then destroys the vampire lord, wipes out the undead, and is then makes Elturel the sort of what the what it becomes, you know, in the modern day, which is this shining city on a hill. It's got this beautiful magical star over it that wipes out and dead. People flock there from all around. And you've got the Hell Riders and the Companions, a group of elite paladins. So it's like it's like all this holiness mm-hmm. and it's just sort of glowing and it has this sort of mythic past of fighting devils. So it's really this big um, 
you know, holy city and, and you know, it's, it's kind of the cat's meow of good people, you right. know, and good warriors. And it's a good, it's a good contrast between a sister city of Baldur's Gate. Yeah, which is basically, you know, a den of scum and villainy. <laughs> <laughs> With, you know, three evil uh, gods having uh, yeah. a bit of sway there. Yeah, yeah, Bane, Ball, and Merkel do have their past there. And, uh, yeah, it's well known that Baldur's Gate... <laughs> is sort of the place where you go to do deals and, and uh, you know, uh, smuggle and, and, and do all kinds of shady stuff. It's, so. not, it's not exactly a lawless city, but there is uh, not a lot of law there. No, yeah, and in, in Baldur's Gate, you know, you have your, your, your upper city, which is, which is where all the law is. You know, the watch is there. There's sort of this sort of, um, you know, well-funded police force. And then as you go down the hill to lower city, um, you've got your your flaming fist, which basically are like thugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they will beat you if you step out of line. So yeah. law is like brutal and fast and hard. Um, and then you get outside of Baldur's Gate to the outer city, and that is just kind of lawless. Like you Free can, from. yeah, anything goes there. So now, do Hell Riders appear in Baldur's Gate often? Yeah, they um, Hellriders ride all over. Um, Elturel is actually part of a nation called Elterguard. So um, when Elturel becomes more and more powerful, it kind of turns into Elterguard. And what happens is that with the Companion Star and all this like um, all this stuff going on, that uh, Elturel starts to say, "We are going to protect all the surrounding people. If you join us, if you join the nation of Elterguard, we will protect you." We've got Hellriders, which are now kind of almost to like 2,000, 3,000 strong. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and that's com- their standing army? Yeah, it's their standing army. And, and, from, and then the companions now are probably about 300 paladins. Um, wow. So they're moving out. So Baldur's Gate is a little bit nervous about this because here's this, this nation now. It's a holy nation. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's got you know, Torm as their sort of major deity. Uh, paladins are like you know, in force. And they are sort of cons- pulling uh, uh, these these cities in li- 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 these like little towns into their fold, mm-hmm. and um, and it's just appearing to be more and more um, of a threat. Yeah, more and more of a threat. And they don't know exactly what the intentions of Elturel are. The mm-hmm. High Overseer Thavius Krieg, they're like, what is this guy all about? What does he want? Um, you know, and. Does he see Baldur's Gate as sort of a, an evil thing that he wants to take over? Mm. You know, is is Elturel a violent? You know, are they going to like usurp us? You know, just by saying, "Oh, you're evil," and now we're going to take you over? Or are, is it more of an evangelical thing where they're just like, "Hey, you know, we're awesome. Come join us. Check it out. See what you think. If you like us, all right, come on, join. Be a part of Elturel. You know, it's cool. We've got." <laughs> Hot coffee and come cocoa. to our meetings yeah. uh, where <laughs> we talk right. about Torm and all, right. the, all the wonders of, of following good deities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, interesting. All right, so um, but but Elturel and the Hell Riders and all that—they're not a part of the uh, Lords Alliance, correct? No, no. Lords Alliance is um, you know you know Baldur's Gate, Waterdeep, um, Neverwinter, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, and, those, what's, and what's the relation to size uh, between – is Elturel as big as Baldur's Gate or Waterdeep? I w- I'd probably smaller, but Eltergard, uh-huh. if you take all of it together, it, it's, it's bigger. Interesting. You know, okay. so – and th- the Lord's Alliance ha- you know, hasn't been able to crack into this um, place because um, Elturel is kind of like 
hey, we're not going to follow any kind of other club. We've got our club and it's like shining lights and stuff, you know. So, <laughs> you know. We're all good. We're following that kind and of thing. And that's what the, the leader is, what's his name? Fabius Krieg. Yeah. Yeah. That's his deal? That's his deal. Yeah, he's he's all all down with that. So, um, and he, He's down with Torm. He's down with Torm. And, uh, you know, Thavius Krieg is kind of part of the reason who why he, you know, El Terrell is, is where he is. It is where it is. Um, Thavius Krieg is, the rumor is around it that Thavius Krieg is one of the people or, or the person who, you know, through his piety and his devoutness brought the companion star into being. Oh, okay. So he, you know, because he was so tight with Torm, then Torm's like, here you go, buddy. And poof, this companion star. So that is the, that's what the people say about how this thing came into being. So interesting. So he's got a lot of sway. With so the, yeah. With the, he's, yeah. And so when, when did that happen? So what's, what's the, like, yes, right. Cause the Hellriders was like hundreds of years ago. Yeah. Right? Hellriders is like, like 1350 some Oh, okay. Reckoning. So, so that's only like a hundred years ago then. Yeah. So it's, it's, and it's not, yeah. And then, um, and then the, um, well, it's a little, yeah, a bit longer, but now the, the companion star happened probably 60 some years ago. Okay. So it's, it's, a, it's a while ago within like a, you know, a human lifespan or maybe a little shorter than that. Um, and then, um, and so for the past, you know, years, this uh the city has been you know completely free from undead mm-hmm. and uh and the hell riders have expanded you know because of the legend and the sort of you know everybody every young kid wants to go join the hell riders to be can, you know all right so that, here's a question and this is something i don't know whether it's in the book or not it, can you be a hell rider as as beginning in in Baldur's gate descent into avernus uh sure i mean if you ask your dm and you're like hey can i be a hell rider yeah, why not? It'd be fun, you know, and uh, it would definitely um, would sort of change. Like, it might change a little bit of how you would think about the world, mm-hmm. um, but not all hell riders have to be good. That's that's the one thing you you don't have to be a good guy. You can, but you're definitely not um, an evildoer. Right, you're you're, but you are you, and you you're not a paladin. Um, you're a soldier with a with a good tint. Yeah, on it, you're a soldier who wants to smash some some evil. You know, yeah. you want to you want to go fight devils. You want to you, you're you're you know you're looking um, to sort of either depends if if you're if you're really a sort of an altar guard uh, like um, native. Yeah, and and you you love this place. You you would want to tell people about it. You would want to say, "Hey, you know, if you're if you're, you know, scared being in Baldur's Gate and you're and you want a little more security, come out to any one of the the cities within the nation of 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 Eltergard and we will protect you." And right. and if you see uh, cuz we've got these awesome warriors and we've got these awesome yeah. paladins that that are that are back in us. Yeah, and we're on the right track, you know, like a, a lot of the the people from Elterel feel like, "Hey, this this thing's working." You know, mm-hmm. like we 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 like the way this thing is going. And um and we seem to have a good leader and we seem to have a good set of of values, you know. Yeah. Um, and and we're we're moving in the right direction. Whereas you know other places, you know they've they've had their problems, and there seems to be um, they don't have that whole where the whole city is behind sort of the direction of the leadership. So nice. Um, but yeah, um, be a hell rider. I like be that. a hell rider. Yeah. In fact, we should get a t-shirt. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they had their own. They have their own standard, and they have you know their own you know, sort of the, like their look. And, uh, and yeah, I feel like it's got like a, a like almost like not a rock star quality, but like it has yeah. like a, a a a path to to greatness. 
yeah. there that that I feel like would inspire a populace. Yeah, totally. And you know, a lot of the old Hellrider um, weaponry, like there's probably some museum in, in El Terrell where that has sort of. Um, the old devil fighting weapons, mm. you know, like um, maybe there's like a giant claw that was used to hook horn devils out of the sky that's magical or something Ooh, sweet. like that or silver tipped stuff. Um, a lot of the, probably a lot of the old um, Hellrider weapons were, were silver, you know. So they could deal um, damage to, yeah. to, to devils because it has to be either magical or silvered to do so. Yeah. And then, you know, some of the old books written by the Hellriders would be, you know, um, you know, talking about what Avernus was like mm. and, you know, how you would deal with it. You know, how, how, would, you, how would you handle the stuff? It might, you might even get some lore about what soul coins are and just mm. like, um, and then, you know, how to avoid this and how to avoid that. So, um, any fighter who was going to take a quest into Avernus could go to Elturel and look through the Hellrider archives and find out for themselves firsthand knowledge and firsthand lore about what it was like mm. by these, these old warriors who went in there. Interesting. And then um, is there any thing about the apparent secret of what happened to them uh, and how they split off? Well, that's the thing. I mean, we've left that open. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and as we're creating the lore, um, in, in this case, with the, the sort of the new stuff about so how Elturel, Eltergar, the Hellriders, and all that stuff ties into Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus, we've left that open to, mm. you know, interpretation. The you Dungeon can, Master yeah, can Yeah, the Dungeon Master can make it up however they want to be. And if they want to say that, um, you know, so-and-so was, they betrayed them or that nobody really knew what happened. It was just a panic. It was just like a human sort of impulse to just bolt and run from this tremendously, uh, intensely horrifying place. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, that, that could be a thing that let's say, you know, a, a conceivable possibility could be that, you know, you're a hell rider. You've, you've, you're with Zariel. She's an angel. You're in her aura. You ride down in, but anybody outside of her aura or if they got separated... And somehow that, you know, Zariel and her forces went off that way and they got separated and went off this way. Within a matter of a couple of days or weeks, those people could be terrified, lost, not knowing how to survive in Avernus. It's a completely alien, weird world. It's something that they never imagined. It's, it's warped and weird and time and space kind of act differently down there. Yeah. And they got lost and they're just, we've got to get out of here. And so they just run for it. And then they seal the portal up behind them because they don't want that stuff spilling back up into the material plane. So they could have done all the good things and just it was just human weakness that caused it. And then in their own sort of, you know, weak moment, they just pawned it off and said, oh, well, we, we kicked just ass. Got, well, yeah, we Devils are gone good. now. Because right. when they returned to Elturel, you know, they're met by a cheering mass. Yeah. And then just to say that, yeah, we completely botched it. It was all forked. It's an interesting kind of way that history is told, right? Yeah. You know, who knows about, you know, what occurred in classical times here on our earth, for example. Like, we yeah. just, we have some firsthand accounts, but what if that firsthand account was just oh, yeah. made up, right? Like, yeah. you know, things we know about, um, you know, say the, the 300 story of like, oh, oh yeah. That, who knows what actually really <laughs> happened, right? But it's become this myth and this legend. And yeah. I like that this, that kind of, thing is rippling through 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 the forgotten realms and you know it's it's up to interpretation maybe even what the players will discover uh, along the way in this adventure yeah uh, can can illuminate some of it and at that time there was you know dragon spear castle was happening and there was like um you know devil activity there and, and you know they might have just come back and said 
you know, if we don't tell a story of humans triumphing over devils, right? It was we, a PR moment. <laughs> yeah, if we don't tell that story, um, people are going to lose hope. Yeah, and this this burgeoning holy city will just collapse and just lose faith. So, so, so some of what you talked about was that was that in adventures and stories that were told through second and third edition, or is that? It's those were just from like little clips and snippets from source books, uh, and then most of that stuff was lore that we generated over mm. the course of creating um, Descent into Avernus. So, because um, we wanted to fill out that story, um, there there was this, you know, we this this city was uh, a thing in the lore. There was Dragonspear Castle was a thing in the lore. Um, the ride into hell was a thing in the lore. But it was only like little bits and pieces were told about that. Oh, I see. So, so broad strokes. We and then- wanted to give it some more beef and then we tied it in with Zariel. Like how, you know, one of the questions we wanted to answer was like, how did Zariel come into being? Like yeah. she's a fallen angel, but what's the story there? Right. How did she fall? Right? Yeah. How okay. did she fall? And right. we're like, well, how about at this moment? It was when we tied it in. We're like, okay, she was the one who led the charge. You know, Got it. What, what gave these humans the courage to actually open up a portal to hell and ride down there. It was, and we, had like, a, we had an angel on our backs. Yeah. And so at, in the lore, it says this guy, Lord Delt, was the dude who did it. But we're like, once if Lord Delt was also kind of buoyed with courage because there's an angel in his midst. Got it. And maybe Zariel was, it was like, I want to keep myself on the down low. Like, I will train you in secret. I will come down mm. to you guys. Because she didn't want to get spied out by her, you know. Because oh, if maybe she, she is Lord Delt, could have been. She could have just shape shifted and why? Yeah, yeah. Because right? yeah. she's had that power. Interesting. You just created some lore, man. I just made it. It's yeah, lore. You should know now that it has been made. Yes. Excellent. All right. Well, tons of great uh, uh, storytelling possibilities there. I oh can't wait for people to jump in. Uh, when they get uh, Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus in September. Yeah. Um, if people want to pester you, not pester, if oh, they want to ask you wonderful questions uh, about lore or any of this, uh, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, Adam Ad- Adventure, and uh, I'm on Twitter. And uh, yeah, shoot me all kinds of stuff. Adam of Adventure. Adam of Adventure. One word. Of one word. <laughs> of yes. one word adventure. Yes. Excellent. All right, cool. Yeah. Well, a thanks fun. a lot. Uh, and uh, we'll be back with some more fun things in the future. Thanks. Woo-hoo. Bye-bye. Man, uh, I'm so glad uh, Adam was able to jump in and elucidate about uh, all of the work that he's been doing, putting in, uh, making this adventure. And uh, the Hellriders is a great story. So I'm hopefully more people uh, can, can can glean info from that, uh, preparing for their jump into Baldur's Gate descent into Avernus. And the, the Hellriders and a lot of the other NPCs are so well fleshed out that people are going to be able to just grab them. And I, I think spin adventure after adventure if they want to just using that fabulous cast of NPCs. Um, speaking of a fabulous cast of NPCs, uh, we have another book coming out very soon, uh, June 18th, Acquisitions Incorporated, the book, uh, which has a several different casts of characters that yes. you can pull off the shelf and play in your game if you're interested. Yeah, if, if you have always dreamt of having Omen Drawn and Jim Dark Magic in your campaign... And I hope especially as villains. <laughs> <laughs> what does this, it say, Jeremy? This, this book is for you. Well, because so uh, 
at D&D Live, uh, Jerry Holkins and I were joking backstage that that in some ways Aki Inc. is really a campaign about villains or at least or at least sort of villains in their early career. You know, mm. you can imagine them just turning into terrible, terrible people and Omen is already pretty terrible yeah. uh, later on. And so I imagine some people will take the Aki Inc. book and, you know, they'll, they will build their own franchise. They will, they will be a part of... Uh, the the gloriously amoral acquisitions <laughs> incorporated family but then you might have other groups who get that book and their whole their whole mission is going to be to take down this amoral often terrible <laughs> corporation yeah. and you could use and you can use the stat blocks of the characters either as you know allied NPCs, villains, or both. Uh, and uh, the book also has uh, the C team fully statted out and a number of other characters who have appeared over the last decade uh, in different acquisitions incorporated stories. That's so cool. Uh, there's a campaign as well, uh, six levels of which you can take you know, from, from, from uh, an early member of a acquisitions incorporated franchise to at least the mid-level there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you're right, I haven't really considered that. They could end up being... Uh, you know, taking over AI from within and uh, take down their their corporate overlords. I mean, that's, that's something really chaotic good about that story. Yeah, yeah. Do a hostile takeover and re- and play the whole thing out. I love it. I love it. And uh, similar to what uh, we were just talking about for other books, uh, you can use pieces of that and build your own stories and campaigns of it. And maybe um, you know, Rosie Beestinger is actually in Avernus. Yeah, uh, yep. uh, cursed to be. Uh, 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 dealing with all of her sins uh, there, and you can you can combine and put her on the high seas with Ghosts of Saltmarsh. I mean, that's right. We just provide these tools, and you can tell whatever story you want with them. Uh, another great tool in that book is there's the whole system about not only creating a franchise, but also your character taking on different roles within the corporation, mm. and those roles conferring different abilities. I could see people using that material to play in uh, Acquisitions Incorporated. But I could also see people taking it and riffing on it and yeah. like, oh, I'm going to create this other organization with a similar structure, with different roles that confer abilities. We did something a little similar with the guilds in Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, right. uh, where you know, you're know standing in a particular guild conferred upon you different benefits. Mm-hmm. So people will get, see... Uh, something it's similar, but has some, has its own twists uh, in the acquisitions incorporated book. That's super cool. Um, and one thing that I like about uh, the Ak Inc. book is that there's you know there's going to be people who have watched and played, and maybe this is their first time wanting to jump in to play Dungeons and Dragons using uh, the material there. And we also introduced uh, a whole bunch of products at D and D Live uh, that is all about onboarding new players as well. Uh, there is the uh, Dungeons and Dragons versus Rick and Morty tabletop role playing game adventure. That's the official title. That's all those words in there. Uh, we'll have uh, uh, Kate Welch on uh, soon to talk more about that uh, book as an, as an onboarding thing for fans of Rick and Morty. Really great stuff there. Um, but the D&D Essentials Kit uh, is also all about having uh, a rule book designed, at least in 5th edition, uh, teaching new players how to make their first character. Yes. Uh, so that, that product, the Essentials Kit, was a lot of fun to work on. Uh, Chris Perkins and I, we divided up the writing responsibilities. He wrote uh, The Great Adventure that's in the set, and I wrote the rule book. Yeah. And if people are wondering, well, what's different about this rule book from the one in the starter set? Well, first off, it's twice as long. 
And we needed those extra pages. <laughs> Seems to be a theme for, for this interview. <laughs> we're very verbose yes. here at the Dungeons & Dragons team. Uh, it, it's twice as long because we needed those pages to give you character creation rules. In the starter set, you get pre-made characters. In the essentials kit, we give you the rules for making a character of your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, five different classes uh, in that booklet. All of the basic rules you need to play 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons and also a, a special twist is at the end we give you the ability to have a sidekick that makes it possible for one person to play an adventure with one DM. I love uh, that. And uh, because your character will then have this other character with them or potentially multiple other characters with them. If people are curious about what the sidekicks look like uh, in terms of their rules – we previewed a version of those rules in Unearthed Arcana a while ago, mm-hmm. uh, calling them the sidekick rules. And we were actually experimenting with those rules specifically for this essentials kit. Yeah. And uh, the, the version people see in the kit uh, uh, reflects some of the playtest feedback we got from uh, that Unearthed Arcana. And the uh, essentials kit comes with cars. You have to punch them out and, and tear them apart. Uh, uh, so I don't want to misrepresent it, but you know there is perforations there. Uh, but on the cards, you can actually see what the sidekicks look like. Yes. Uh, because Sean Wood did illustrations for each one of these uh, sidekicks that just look amazing. He's got such a, a wonderful eye. He's done a lot of the character work for Force Gray. Uh, so you, you, if you recognize those portraits, you might uh, uh, see some some continuity there. And I think that's just really a great visual cue, especially for new players to be like, okay, this. This is the person that I'm recruiting. You have a physical card that you can put in front of you. It's like, okay, this person is on my side. Um, one quick question because we do want to eventually get to uh, uh, our interview uh, with uh, Alice Cleaver um, from Scraticus Academy, uh, who's also all about onboarding new players. Uh, but I, 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 I need to ask this question. Is this the first time there has been official rules for Dungeons & Dragons that have uh, one-on-one play? So I... If I remember correctly, it has been experimented with before, but we have not forefronted it in this same way, mm. the way we do in this set. Uh, there was like way back in the day with basic D&D, there was solo play actually in the old red box. Oh, right. Uh, there was but that a, was like a sort of a, a choose pick your, your path. Yeah, sort of choose your, yeah, <laughs> yes, a, a pick your path. Pick Thank your you. path before you said, before you said <laughs> the protected words. Yes. Um, uh that was much more, yeah, pick your path experience, and certainly tons of DMs over the the you know last f- uh, four plus decades have experimented with one DM one player, uh, but we wanted to make it so that the rules themselves supported that style of play. Yeah, and yeah, because we hear about that all the time as being like, oh, that's how I first played was just you know these one on one sessions, or or uh, people even now who are like, I prefer that because it's you know you don't have to. You deal with different personalities. You can really get into delving into a very personal story between um, uh, uh, two people who are are working together to tell the story together. Uh, so I'm and glad that we are are forefronting it like we are. Absolutely, and it was important to us to forefront it in this product because we realized that sometimes you'll have somebody jazz to try out D and D, but then they immediately have the issue of finding players. Right. So we wanted to make it as easy as possible for them that if if they could just find one player. They can do it with this set. I love it. All right, cool. Well, the Essentials Kit comes out on June 24th uh, in a North America only uh, at Target stores. Uh, you'll find it there uh, first. Uh, it will be available everywhere in the North American region on September tw- uh, 3rd uh, of this year. So look for it there. 
Um, and it's got lots of great stuff. Uh, we showed it all off in uh, various ways during D&D Live, so check it out uh, on the video on demand if you're interested there. Um, but on to our interview with someone who is very good about onboarding new players, their entire community. Uh, Scraticus Academy is about uh, being inclusive and getting more people who are interested in playing Dungeons & Dragons playing. Uh, so here is uh, my interview with Alice Cleaver. Have uh, the amazing Alice Cleaver here on the line. Hello, hello. It's good to be here. How are you doing? Welcome. Uh, Alice does a whole bunch of uh, both dungeon mastering, game mastering, and playing for uh, Scraticus Academy. Is yes, that- that's that's uh, that's correct. I'm the headmistress of the Scraticus Academy. It's yeah, it's an amazing thing to be. Headmistress, I love that because you guys have the stylization that you're all a part of the uh, part of the, the the school. Oh yeah, for sure. The academy is a place to just come and learn TTRPGs in general and role play. So we figured the academy was a good name for it. Yeah, it makes sense. I like I like how uh, the entire branding seems to be about making it more open and inclusive to to people who both new and old uh, to the hobby. Oh, for sure. I, that's, uh, that's basically our main thing is the whole inclusive and creating a safe environment for people to come and play, whether it's returning people to D&D or people who have... We've got so many people that have just sort of started discovering it and really want to get into it. So we kind of provide that safe space where people can come and really explore it without any pressure at all yeah i love that um and is it uh i mean you're based in the in the uk right yes Yes, uh and so is it about bringing more more folks in from from that community or or all over the world um all over the world in fact our very first game before we went time and when we first ever got into like twitch streaming um there were three of us from the uk and two of us were our friends from sweden Mm. Um, it was kind of set up on the fact that we moved to a new area and we couldn't get a game anywhere we couldn't find a game to set up so we went online to find a game and just started making them ourselves when we couldn't find them that's cool and uh, were, there, were you friends with the folks from Sweden or did you just kind of, you know? It, um, one of them I met in the game for the first time. The other one I've known for seven or eight years. So, yeah. Very cool. Now, how long, uh, what was your first kind of Dungeons and Dragons or, or, or tabletop role playing experience like? I mean, it's, it sounds like you've been doing this for a long time. Um, I, I played a lot of role playing games and sort of. D&D style sort of uh, board games like mm-hmm. Dungeon Quest and things like that. And I remember when I was about, I think I was about eight, nine years old, I went to a, like a, just like a garage sale or whatever. And I found a book that I really liked all the pictures in. And it turns <laughs> out it's the 2.5e Monster Manual. Um, so I read through that as I was um, younger, but I didn't really get into the role playing and the real D and D until I met my husband, which is probably nearly ten years ago now. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, and what was that like when 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 did, did he dungeon master for you to begin? Um, no, actually, it was his older brother. Okay. Um, and it was a really good um, experience. It was incredibly addictive. Um, we played it every single time we went round. Um, but we were also in a different part of the country, so mm. again, we tried to set up local games, but people weren't feeling it. I mean, not too long ago before we set up the academy i didn't have the best experience um mm. there was um some negative games some negative energy and it's another reason we make the scratch academy a safe space because we also just heard from reaching out how many people have had a negative experience not because of the game they really wanted to play the game it was sometimes the people that were surrounding them or playing with them. So yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh, you're you're not alone. I think a lot of folks have had that experience, whether it be um, you know their their idea of what a role playing game is not quite matching with what that first experience is like, uh, as well as the as the gatekeeping and the the more unpleasant kind of uh, behaviors that can can exhibit themselves uh, at the table. So. Oh. I love that you were able to to kind of be like, all right, well, let's 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 do something about that. Yeah, it it was uh, it's 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 what we're about. Not just teaching people or getting people to uh, like we get a lot of new DMs in as well mm. to give them a safe space because as much as players um, themselves need a safe space, sometimes the DMs do as mm. well. I think that can be forgotten sometimes because DMing for the first time can be a really terrifying thing. It certainly was for me um now i absolutely adore it um but we just sort of create an environment where everyone is welcome if you are a kind person then come play that's that's literally qualifications for Mm. it if you want to tell a story if you want to learn to role play or play a game come and join us so and it's it's, it's little things like we monitor our chat very strictly so that if there a troll comes in straight away or someone who is in there to wind people up, they're either gone straight away or they get a warning. We have our pronouns on display mm-hmm. as well because um, it's, it's easy to mislabel someone or something to that effect and just by having i think even the right pronouns makes people more comfortable and feel more accepted because why not yeah absolutely i mean uh it's something that uh you know happens in our 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 daily lives even you know in the in the little bit we did before this you know i was talking to some folks in the chat i'm always like oh i mean i gotta make sure i default to uh to a, a a they because it um you know who who knows what what uh how they identify and you can't really tell that from from just a, a handle or something like that so I think that's really important to to keep in mind is um you know all of those all of those guidelines and things like that uh, and I and I appreciate the moderation I mean shout out to the mods on on the D and D channel uh they do they do great work uh but uh, I also like that when you guys were founding you know uh, was that was that something that you guys implemented at first or were, were you like oh we need to make sure we have uh, mods after after you had a few experiences online we've been quite lucky because I don't know whether it's because we've been 
pretty strict on it since the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't like you're going to get trolls in whatever community you're in. Yeah. And we were very aware of that before we even started. So I think just by um, moderating the chat early on and giving off that sort of like we laid out very, very quickly that it was not acceptable to be a troll, basically, to come in and be cruel or wind someone up or whatever. So um, we don't get a lot, but we've also attracted a an amazing community that are also full of positivity and mm. kindness and diversity. So we've got so many mods on the channel that have the same core values as well. So they keep an eye on it constantly for us as well, which is great. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And that's a big part of, I think, why I have uh, been really proud of the D&D community uh, you know, recently is because of that, that kind of uh, top-down kindness you know, that people have all been like, right, we want to make sure we bring more people in, we under, you know, uh, be, be as um, uh, understanding about different people's backgrounds and where they may come from and, and how they might have different approaches to the game or different uh, styles that they uh, you know, would like to play. And uh, yeah, you, I've, what, what you're describing sounds very similar to what's been happening in the D&D community just as a whole, where you know, if you start with um, you know, leading with that best foot forward, it, it feels like more and more folks are attracted to that and then therefore it just becomes what the community uh, feels like for, for as many people as possible. Oh gosh, yeah. This, um, I say it over and over again that this is the most welcoming community I've ever been in like if there was you know you have a tough day at work or something like that you don't want to deal with anything i used to switch off social media mm -hmm. now i'm part of this community i'm like oh no i i'll hop on twitter i'll see what the D, &D community is doing at and the moment. seeing their creativity and the things that they're making yeah. and yeah it's just inspiring it's really inspiring and also especially with just the diversity of people in it it brings so much to the game, the storytelling, everything, because the different points of view, mm -hmm. they're amazing. It's things that I'd never think of or others would never think of. And people from all different backgrounds or different lives and everything, it just brings so much to it. That's awesome. Um, so going back a little bit to what your uh, your first experiences were like playing, uh, what, what kind of characters did you gravitate towards early like what what fantasy archetypes were were the ones that that drew you in rogues yeah constant rogues and halflings because that was the one um that i was just drawn to uh the most why was Actually, that well my first ever character was a barbarian mm. when i first ever did it but after, i don't know why after that i just gravitated towards rogues i felt like i could play them just how I wanted to play a character. And then gradually I started playing lots of different classes, lots of different sort of um, races and things like that. But I was pretty latched on to a rogue. I'm not too sure why. I just thought they were really good. Was, you, is it the sneaking? Really is it the... Yeah, it's the sneaking, the sneak attack. It's, it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's probably it. It's all the, the dexterity and that side of it is probably my favorite. Um, so, that's and I cool. actually went for a halfling the first time because my husband constantly says I'm a real life halfling. So, he's like, <laughs> you have to play a halfling. Try it as, like, my first character. So, 
Yeah. It's because you like food and you have hairy feet? Uh, not the hairy feet <laughs> thing. I'm very sure I have curly hair and I like food. But yes, no hair, no hairy feet. Okay. Phew, that was close. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, well, I mean, as, as being a, a British person too, is there is there an affinity to uh, you know the, the, the Lord of the Rings and those stories that, that, that drew you in? Um, I guess so, yeah. Um, actually, one of the uh, first, I guess I saw big books when I was about seven years old, I read The Hobbit. Mm. And that was a, a game changer for me. My dad read it to me when I was four years old and then I read it again when I was old enough to read it. And it changed my perspective on just fantasy in general because it's, it's a classic. Um, but we actually stream more to um, America than the UK. Um, you mean so, your audience is more American? Yeah, yeah. We um, Our audience is more American than anything as we work on the EST time zone, mm. um, which is how I've met... Um, so many amazing people a lot of them I call family now so it's um it's been really really great and I've also discovered a lot just a lot more by branching out and meeting other people from other places yeah absolutely well uh I mean I think it's true for a lot of Americans I mean I think uh Tolkien and 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 The Hobbit especially for me it was the um the Rankin Bass uh, animated version of The Hobbit that I saw when I was, you know, probably four or five, and 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 then wanted to now then read it and, and get into it. So, you know, even even us Americans feel uh, very close to to those stories. We're all halflings deep down. Oh, everyone's a halfling at heart. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Even even Joe Manganiello, the uh, you know the six foot tall beefcake that he is, <laughs> you know he he was drawn in by The Hobbit as well. Yeah. It, it's it's a book that's inspired me so much, and then I went on to read Lord of the Rings. But I always kind of gravitate back to The Hobbit because mm. it's got that sort of childhood nostalgia about it as well. It does, yeah, for sure. Um, so, was that a conscious choice for you guys to broadcast on the Eastern, uh, you know, time zone uh, rather than rather than your own? Um, originally, um, it was because we worked during the day mm. and we played games in the evening. So we would play D&D in the evening and then we met a lot of Americans that way because it was on their time zone. Um, and that's kind of where we stayed when we went full time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's more it than anything. And then we, I mean, we get um, a lot of English people on the channel as well. We sort of, we reach out um across the board so normally we start at like 7 p.m uk time so sort of lunchtime um on the est time zone so we do get a mix we do get a a sort of a crossover um but it does seem to be more american and uh have you i mean i've heard from various folks uh who live in uh in, in your neck of the woods about how dungeons and dragons is is there it's definitely prevalent uh, but it's not necessarily the uh, or tabletop role playing games in general because I know you guys play a lot of different systems. Mm. Um, you know, it's 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 not as uh, I don't. know, It's not the first thing that that folks think of in the UK. Is that is that true? Oh gosh, yeah. It's it was 
quite a shock actually in a good way <laughs> like when um i discovered how much bigger the tabletop community was in america because mm. there's just so much of it and the community is huge i mean over here it's there obviously it is all there but it's just not as hyped there's not as bigger uh, a community i couldn't didn't feel like i could go into a a game shop and sit down and play a game it was mm. something you played at home and you try and find people to play with and stuff like that i mean um that we're going to gen con for the first time this year oh and nice cool I've, I've been told how big it is and i i don't think i'm prepared for how big it is <laughs> so yeah it's it's not as big over here there's definitely a lot of it here but it's nowhere near close. Why, why do you think that is? You know, because again, there's so much wonderful fantasy that has come out of, 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 of Britain and the, and the, and the mm. uh, authors that write there. I mean, I think of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and all those, like some of the, the forerunners for, for the fantasy genre in general. So mm. th th those, you know, that groundwork is laid. Why, why do you think, um, you know, fantasy role-playing hasn't, hasn't caught on quite so much? I'm not too sure because um, lots of people um, I've met I, I mean, it goes for all over, but in the UK as well, people either don't know about it or um, I know some people watched like Stranger Things and were like, oh, it's that D&D &D game or whatever um, it was. And also one of my negative experiences mm. was um, actually I, I go into a couple of shops when I can and I was actually looking for um, one of the D&D um, &D monster guides. And as I walked into the shop, the first thing that happened was the guy behind the counter approached me and said, are you buying for your boyfriend or your brother? Oh, that's and I was just like, this could be a reason why. Like, there's, there's <laughs> just, you know, I was like, well, actually I'm buying for me, but okay. I don't know. It's just, I think it's just not around a lot. Mm. It's, um, I mean... There's always the days like when you were back at school, you if you said you played D&D, &D, then you were the nerd. Right. Like, I mean, I was a super nerd anyway, so people knew it about me, but I didn't know other people <laughs> that played D&D &D or anything like that. I just, I think it's growing. It's definitely growing. Yeah. Which is really nice to see. Really, really good to see. Because it gives so much and you don't need a lot to do it either yeah yeah i well and I, i'm just more curious more than anything else because we've we've heard uh you know that exact that that, that type of thing where like it's all there they just for some reason the community just hasn't um uh it expanded as it has here in america over the last few years uh and uh yeah i want kudos to you for sticking with it and fighting through the negative experience of someone asking you uh, uh, something insulting like that uh, and uh, that you get to have the books and hopefully, you know, bash those trolls in the face with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't been into a shop for a very long time um, over here. I actually bought quite a few books when I went over um, to America to see one of our friends we met through the community. So I sort of... and. The experience was completely different. Mm, that's good. The shop, it was, it was, it was really nice. It was really welcoming. The the person in there immediately was just like, "Hi, how can I help you?" I and then 
what was nice was that they wanted to tell me about their favorite games mm. and recommend me their games or what experiences they've had. So I think it's more in the in the UK, once it gets bigger, I think people will be more confident to talk about it and just be fine about enjoying it and doing it more and more. So Great. Great. And, and the work you guys are doing about uh, trying to include more people who are new to it, uh, I think it's a big part of it. So, yeah, you, got, you, you have a very robust schedule uh, at the, at the Scraticus Academy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I resist the, 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 you know, I'm not going to call it a schedgy. Oh, dang it. I just didn't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Three shows a day. It's full on. It is, um, it can be stressful. Well, it's not stressful. It's just difficult to maintain because you've got to be in there. You want to make sure everyone's having a good time. Yeah. We use the safety system um, constantly. So, and then ha- on top of that, having three shows a day, but it's so much fun and it's so rewarding as well when either you see someone that came to play D&D for the first time at the Scrat Academy starts DMing. Yeah. And they, or they come and tell us, they're like, oh, we've started our own home game. Or we see them on another channel to go and DM or play. And it's just like, oh, yeah, there we go. That's what we wanted. They feel confident enough now to play with others as well as, you know, just experiencing it for the first time, which is just so nice. (laughs) That is super gratifying. And I bet, you know, uh, I mean, even as, you know, recent as five years ago, if someone told me there would be folks like yourself who are like, yeah, we, we play games all day and we go full time and make our, our livings doing that I think you know people would have laughed in, our, in, in your face if you said something like that but now here we are in this situation you're not the only one there's more and more people who are doing uh, this type of thing full time it's not something I imagined we would be doing um, my husband and I ha- both have degrees in very different things what's and, your degree in? <laughs> Just out of curiosity. Uh, I have a degree in history with modules of archaeology which that's, Actually, I use it. I was just going to say, that seems pretty pretty on, yeah. Yeah, um, my husband um, has a degree in engineering. <laughs> and actually, when we first started, before we went full-time, before we did, you know, when it was more just, just having fun outside of our other jobs, mm-hmm. um, he did engineering all day, and then he'd come home and play D&D for hours and hours, go to bed for a little bit, and then wake up engineering, come home, run the channel, D&D. So it was full on, but very, very worth it. So, Yeah. And I think more and more people are uh, inspired by what's happening uh, on, in streaming, but also you know, through podcasting and things like that. Uh, and we're, you know, what, what were some of your you know, inspirations uh, about like, what, what, what made you have the desire to go you know, full time and do this? Just that it it made us happy that, to do it, which sounds really trivial, but it really did. It made us happy to, one, play these games, two, see like just people progress and the people... It, it was the idea that um, we weren't happy in our jobs mm. at all. And it was difficult to be at the stage where... We could go full-time, so it was effectively we were working two jobs for a very long time. Um, but this made us happy, and we thought, if we can do it, let's give it a try. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But 
if we don't give it a try, we are going to regret it the rest of our lives if we don't try it. Wow. Do you, do you regret it? No, not yet. <laughs> I'm, hoping, I'm, I'm hoping not to at all. But yeah, no, I, I love it. I love this. Um, I love that I get to DM and play all these games for a living and meeting all of these new people. Whereas obviously we've got regulars, but also there's a lot of new people that we have on the channel every single week because we have a lot of viewer games as well so that people can come in and try different systems or just, you know, give it a go yeah. and it's it's a really nice feeling and it's also it's very satisfying as well how long have you been uh how long has it been full-time um you? it'll be full-time for one year in september so oh, not wow. yet <laughs> not quite yet but um it's progressing a lot faster than we thought and it's 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 nice to see it's it's nice to see a nice community do well because the community is always growing and the more and more people we get to meet is amazing and it's it's very much a a community where you lift people up mm -hmm. you don't walk over them to get where you want to be which is something i've always hated about business in general like in an office or something like that that's normally a lot of the case but if someone does well in this community, other people do well. And you just take them with you. You pull them up and it's a very positive vibe from it all. That's what me and Shelley, we're always about lifting each other up uh, mm. as well as, as, as members of the community. So I, I applaud that. That's <laughs> more, more of, of that. And I think that's really kind of gratifying about what, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's baked into the game itself, you know, in some ways where, mm. you know, your party is there to help each other. You don't, you know, one person can't do it all on their own. There's different skills and different backgrounds and races and things that have different, you know, uh, abilities that can solve problems. And it's all about uh, trying to, to support one another to make that happen. So you're doing it. That's great. Yeah. Well, it's diversity in game and in real life. And yeah, that's how it should be, in my opinion. So. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening too who are like, hey, maybe I should do that or I should get into streaming or I could, you know, help support, you know, as my, uh, uh, as a job out there. Uh, what, uh, and I'm sure you'll get this question a lot more uh, if you haven't already been exhausted by it, but what kind of advice would you give to, to someone who's starting out or, or, or want to develop a channel like, like what you guys have with Scraticus? I would say you have to be really passionate about it. You have to throw your all at it and you have to really want to do it because there's so much love in the storytelling side of it but also for the community because obviously playing DD involves other people as well it's not a singular person um just running their own thing it's it's a group game the dm is also a player mm -hmm. it's it's a group of friends coming together and if you want to run a, ch a channel or something like this, be sounds really, be kind, be be a nice person, be a nice human being. Because if you're not, it's it's not going to work. It doesn't matter how good you are if you're a horrible person, it won't work. And I do recommend the safety system. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I'm, I'm not I'm not familiar with the safety system. Yeah, the safety system is popping up more and more, and we use it at the academy um i know um 
check out Kiena because she um, always develops it and it's it's amazing. It's um, the basics of it is um, you have three cards um, or just symbols and it's X, N, and O. And oh, okay. if the scene comes up, um, maybe you're uncomfortable with or um, you're, this is a big no-no to you, like you, you want out. The X is a stop this scene immediately. Like we're just going to backtrack. It didn't happen because this scene makes me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, N is almost like you're approaching a veil. So it's, um, I'm okay with this scene as long as we don't go into a lot of detail, like a gory scene or something. Right. Because you don't want to see that side of it. O, what we call it, is that you are showing all the emotions. You might be crying. You might be screaming and raging and screaming into the abyss. But actually, I'm having a great time. <laughs> so do it more. Um, and we use Zoom chat and we have it behind the scenes so that um, players don't have the pressure of they have to put it out on stream. They can literally oh, do I it see. in Zoom chat, whether it's private message to Scratch or I or um, in the group as a whole. And I mean, we had a scene uh, last week, which was very, very emotional. Mm -hmm. And it's just a way of checking in with people making sure they're okay. Um, also reaching out and asking someone in private, are you okay? Because you can really get into a role. And to go alongside um, this sort of safety system, the Academy uses um, a lines and veils sheet where people can anonymously put like, what is their line? What is a veil to them? What is a, you know, like a no-go topic, which the DM can have and so can the players so that they know not to approach it basically. And it makes people a lot more comfortable at the table. And I feel they fall into the role and they really get into the game when they know it's safe. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, I was, I've been familiar with the X card, but, and, and also I guess a version of, of this, but I hadn't described, been, haven't, described to me as the uh, the safety system. Um, yeah. But just, I want to clarify a couple of things because the, the the line is, you know, you this is something you cannot cross, right? And then the veil yeah. is something that, you know, we can describe a little bit, but we don't want it to be quite so graphic. Is, yeah. that, is that what you're, you're, you're kind of... The veil is, is kind of like, I don't really want to approach this if we have to for story reasons or whatever, then you don't go into like graphic description. You don't right. go you don't go, you don't push it. You sort of deal with the consequences of the event that happened in game. Mm -hmm. And the line is just straight up. No. God. And I mean, we're very much, we say before every game, if you need to take a step away from the table at any point, do it. You do it. You do it IRL. So why, why not do it whilst you're streaming? It's fine. And we even check on chat every now and then. Cause I think, that adds, like the streaming adds a whole new element to it because chat are now involved in the story right. and in the game. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I like that. And you said it was, it was Kiana S. Yes. On Twitter. Kiana. Yes. I follow her on the Twitters. Yes. <laughs> I follow them on the Twitters. <laughs> oh, uh, <thank> you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so, uh, it's good stuff. I didn't realize that, uh, they were the ones who had, uh, uh, kind of developed that system. So kudos to, to them for making that, uh, thing that's, we've used versions of that here on, uh, when we've done D and D streams 
uh, in the past. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It does. It adds to the trust level of, of what's going to be occurring at the table and lets people open up even more and show, show emotions even more, which is at, you're at the heart of any good drama, right? Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, it's, I think by having the safety system there, people, as I said, feel more relaxed, so they feel they can be more emotional if they want to because yeah. it's, it's I can push myself to this boundary and I know it won't go beyond that. And if anything, I think it helps develop role players. It makes them want to experiment a bit more and just just like little things. Like we've had people that have come onto the channel and be like, oh no, I wouldn't dare do a voice from a ca- for my character. I wouldn't put an accent on. I wouldn't do a voice. And I'm like, oh no, I never ever thought I would. <laughs> but now I do. <laughs> Sometimes depending on the character. Yeah. So it's just building confidence and showing people how awesome it is basically and how much the game can give you perfect i love it yeah so uh, i love getting that idea out there even more um what about uh something that uh you know everybody wants to be playing as many D games or or tabletop role game games as possible but i can imagine there could be some some burnout as well as some confusion as to oh, what character am I playing at this moment? Uh, how do you, and this is actually a question that came in from um, Kyle Gould on, on Twitter. Mm. Um, h- how do you keep it all uh, straight in your head? Uh, you know, and, and how do you develop uh, all that atmosphere and tension uh, uh, while having so many different you know, versions of yourself out there? Um, I actually experienced burnout, I think, in our first season. And I took a step because I run a photography business as well. So I was doing that. And I did, I think I did 11 11 games a week, um, three hours each time, which I enjoyed every single one of them. But it wasn't until I crashed, I realized, I was like, okay, (laughs) 11 might be too many. Um, If I, as the DM creating tension and things like that, I just know the story. I know the world very well. I make sure that I know what's going on, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, giving free reign to the characters. So if I'm the DM and I would get some new players come in, I love it when players give me backstory. I love it when they give me as much information about their character as possible because it allows me to kind of mold the story for them. So they're going on this adventure, which everyone can go on, but it becomes more personal when you can put in bits of their backstory and build tension in that way. Cause there's something some players know about other characters that others don't. Um, mm-hmm. I actually ran a, I ran a D and D dark matter. Um, so basically D and D in space. Um, and it was very, very timey-wimey. And my brain, I don't know how it managed it. I don't know how I managed to keep up. But I had a very, very supportive set of players. And they also went along with all this timey-wimey stuff and liked it. So they could have hated it. Like, they could have really hated it. And then I would have had to really change it up. Um, What's And, and I, I'm... I think I know what you mean by timey wimey, but what would what would your what would your definition of that be? There was so much time travel where they came across 
their future selves, their past selves, parallel universe versions of themselves. And every time they did something, it would affect what happened. Oh, man. There are other, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I did it to myself, but it was really <laughs> worth it. It was great. It was really, really great. But it was, that was, I think, my big brain melt. I didn't burn out, but it, I think burning out, you've just got to be very aware of your limits. You've got right. to see them and really recognize them. Um, because not only that, if you burn out, you're not going to play a good game. You're not going to enjoy it as much. So there's no point pushing yourself too far and then not enjoying the game because you've missed the point. Yeah. A bit of- yeah, that's an important, I mean, self, self-care self and, mm. and all that is, is very important. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, sometimes we'll have people be like, I'm having a really bad week. And I'll be like, well, that's fine because health comes first. Take a break and come back next week. There's mm-hmm. no there's no problem. I'm not going to scold you for not coming, you know, this week or whatever, but it's healthcare, like self-care and like mental health and everything else that to us is all part of the safe space. So if, if you're not feeling up to it, there's no problem about that. I certainly, I, I, I certainly support that. Um, and I, and I, and I guess my, my follow-up question to you then is how do you, how do you balance that with the the need to grow and make your audience, uh, you know, uh, always know that there's going to be a stream at a certain time because that's, you know, you guys are doing this full time. It's not just a, something you can just, oh, I don't, you know, I'm, I, my stomach hurts. I can't do this, you know, like, so I think that's why a lot of people burn out is because they feel like there's this, this they need. constantly. Yeah. 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 So how, um, do you, how do you do that? How do you deal with, with, with those two tensions pulling you back and forth? I won't lie, when we do take a break, both my husband and I have that that at the back of our heads, like, oh God, we're not we're not doing something. We should be working. But at the same time, we know we should be taking a break. Yeah. Um, we're actually going on holiday for the first time probably in almost um a year in July. And as much as we're very excited about it, there's I know there's gonna be that worry of we could be doing this right now. Right. We could be doing this. And it's so important to listen to that, to be honest, mm-hmm. because, and then go, no, this is fine. There's nothing wrong with taking a break. It's the same as like we, we work a week of all this streaming. And then at the weekend, we make sure that we stop. Me more than my husband. But we do <laughs> stop. We go and do other things like we'll go bouldering one weekend or we'll go see friends or something one weekend. And even if it's just for an hour or two hours, just to step away because an hour can make a massive difference because sometimes we take an hour and we come back with loads of new ideas or um, just, just energy. Yeah. And getting out into the world, you get, yeah, you're right. Inspired. And then, you know, we've been all been seeing the the photograph behind you there too. Mm. I think going to fantastic places and, and capturing those images. Uh, can you talk a little bit about about what you do for for photography? Uh, yeah, um, I'm a photographer when I'm not streaming, <laughs> um, and I photograph just um, couples, like engagement shoots and stuff like that. Also weddings, but I like going to locations like this because. 
I say, I say it every single time. It's like being in a fantasy world, yeah. the locations I get to go to every now and then, and they inspire my games. Um, and the other thing I do is a lot of self-love photography, just mm -hmm. like go to an amazing place, spend the day with someone and take some photos where they feel good about themselves. But half the time I end up talking about D and D with them. And then I have <laughs> so that luckily the couple I went to this place with, they play a lot of D and D they play it every single weekend. So they could put up with my just constant talking about it. That's um, awesome. So you can take a break, but you, you know, I still talk about it. <laughs> yeah. It still, it still comes in no matter what. Oh, that's yeah, funny. I'm still allowed to talk about it. So it's fine. Yeah. You know, and, and a lot of what you're talking about, I feel like is not, I mean, obviously the, 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 D and D and T RPG community deals a lot with with burnout and things like this, but it also feels like a very human problem right now with the ability to have, you know, the the phone in front of us that we are all constantly checking and you know uh, uh, having it be work emails popping up or if you're, you know, a lot of your life is through social media and, and or your job is through social media, then it becomes you know all of a sudden you're working all weekend long when you're checking your thing, right? So I think it's really important what you're saying about just taking taking the time to be out in the world and experience things that are not through a, you know, five inch by three inch screen. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, like we said, it is a human thing. We've got these lovely phones that do absolutely everything for us, but like at night I turn it off. So it, it's on mute. Nothing can beep through it. Nothing, no alerts can come through. And I just put it off to the side. Um, so I won't look at it because there's, it, it, because working on social media, um, both for streaming and photography, I'm constantly like, oh, I wonder if that person's got back to me. My <laughs> phone's just there. I could check it out. And especially because my photography, I work on English time as well. Mm. I have the two time zones where I'm constantly checking yeah. things. But burnout is a very real thing. And it's a very, very human thing. And it can happen to anyone and everyone needs a break as much as they can be a powerhouse of energy and everything. Everyone needs a break because you're not going to produce good stuff if you're burnt out anyway. So I feel like we need to have safety cards for uh, for for life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? yeah like this that. meeting, this is an X. I don't want to be anywhere near this meeting right now. Yeah, <laughs> I can I can walk away from the table when I've had enough. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm out of this job for the next hour. I need to, I need a break. I guess that's yeah. what I guess that's what lunchtime is for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's that's all super fascinating, and I think I would be remiss if I didn't. Uh, you know, Shelley is not here, but she's always uh, talking about how how nervous she is to jump back in behind the the dungeon master screen and and start telling uh, some stories. So, uh, what can what can she's going to listen to this one because she's not on it. So uh, it's really <laughs> what what advice would you give to to people, especially? Um, folks who you know are, are around Dungeons and Dragons and have played before but may not want to take that that leap behind um behind the screen and Dungeon Master for themselves what what, what what can you talk to them about that if you there's no rush to dm so one you do and also you're never gonna feel ready to yes. dm because it's it, it it's it's a lot of pressure as much as you're a player at the table you feel so responsible for the story but you're not fully you mm. you have amazing players around the table 
talk to them about it even talk about your worries be like you know I'm worried I'm not going to be able to do this and it's it's things like oh well we can help with that or um prep my husband would argue with me here I'm a big prepper he is not he is very much doesn't prep um much at all um but if I'm honest when I first did it I was terrified and I just took the leap of faith effectively Mm. um and also there's no rush like take it slow you don't have to be it's fun you're not trying to prove a point to anyone if you want to give it a go give it a go if you don't don't give it a go um some people never want to dm and they don't have to Mm. also everyone has a different dm style so don't watch someone else and be like, I'm doing it wrong. Because you're not. You're not doing it wrong at all. You interpret it how you interpret it. You help create and bring to the group the basics of the story. So there's no rush to do it. And it's great fun once you get going. Uh, one of the things we do for new DMs is when we get a, a new Uh, DM in and most of the time they're really nervous because I was really nervous when I started DMing but we make sure we get a group that is usually very experienced and they know how to role play they know how to just support that DM Mm -hmm. and again they're nice (laughs) they're nice people and they just want to play and you don't need to know every single rule of art there is you if you want to like tweak it a little bit because you've you're on the edge and you you're like I've forgotten it. You're not gonna be like you know, especially not in our community. You're not gonna be called out for getting it wrong, or take the time to pick up the book and look it up if you want. There's no rush. It's just fun. That's it. I love that. I love all that. I think you had like four or five really good pieces of advice in there, but mm. the one takeaway is don't rush it. I mean, just you, know, you can play if you want, Dungeon Master if you want, you know, and I feel like if you're asking about it, and Shelly does often, you know, I feel like she wants to do it, and she just needs to, you know, get to the edge of that diving board and, and jump in. Well, and also, if it doesn't go to plan, it doesn't matter. You yeah. never know what the players are going to do. And, like, you- and that can be the fun of it. Exactly. If anything, it can create something even better mm-hmm. than you thought was coming. And with the whole going slow thing, um, I ran a game on Monday and the group is very heavy role play and it's amazing. They're, they're an absolutely wonderful group and I adore them. But I could plan a long session, but I know we might not leave like the first scene or something because they'll be so into it and that's fine as well. Yeah. There's yeah. no problem with that. <laughs> I run a I run a, a dragon heist campaign uh, that you know meets twice a month or so, um, and uh, it's a it's a mixed group of people uh, who have played before. Some have never played, uh, you know, in the last twenty years. And my favorite part about it is they're a little bit like they want combat. They definitely want to beat things up, and then and then we just end up shopping the entire time. Uh, it's because it's in water deep. I I ran an Everon game, and. Um, it was we did so much shopping in that game. <laughs> so little combat. When the combat happened, it was amazing. It was great. But yeah. 
we were we were in Eberron and every city they went to, we went shopping, they got new outfits, they went food shopping, like so they had food mart they just wanted to experience this like the city like when we were in shop and it's about and it's that's really fun to, to dm for too because you get to play all the it different is. shopkeepers you want to come up and have interesting kind of you know voices and sounds and descriptions of what it's in, in each shop like i i find those sessions really gratifying oh i love them i love them because so much of the characters come out as well yeah just in just in small moments like that and it's 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 so much fun and also the other thing as a dm that i love and again if you're a new dm don't hesitate to do it mm-hmm. and that is like sitting back and watching your players yes. you don't have to jump in all the time my husband thrives on awkward silences because one he's british and two <laughs> it's just he says it encourages people to fill that silence there's something like Oh, oh God, you know, I, and it encourages players as well to think a bit more and you're not railroading them by accident or something. Then you can sit back. Some of my favorite scenes are just watching, well, the shopping scenes where I just go, this is here, go. Yes. Do what you will. And they're brilliant. Yeah. I love that. I do love the idea of the awkward silence. It's not something that I'm usually comfortable with, uh, you know, in in most social chessing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I hate it. It's not me that likes it. So. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, but there is there is that instinct to try to fill up time, and and you're I, one of the you know pieces of advice I've heard people say that I've repeated is uh, is to just listen, right? Just you know be be a good listener as a dungeon master, and and Shelly's a really good listener, so I think she's got all the skills necessary. Yeah, it should should give it a go because listening is one of the best things you can do as a DM whether it's during game or out of game, because that's the other big thing is that you need to communicate with your players, DM and players constantly. There's no problem with stopping a game to ask a question. There's nothing wrong with that. You're not going to break the story by pausing and asking whatever you want to ask. And even outside of game, I encourage my players to talk to me outside of game maybe there's something they want to do in the next session there's something they want to express or bring up part of their backstory or maybe they've just got a general question about the world i'm always happy to talk about that sort of thing and it builds relationships and confidence between the dm and player as well for sure well uh thank you for taking the time to call in uh from your busy streaming schedule (laughs) thank you (laughs) thank you for Um, inviting what, if people wanted to jump into what is happening at uh, Scraticus Academy, what would what would be the, the the best entry point? You think? Oh gosh, I think we run so many different things, but we do have viewer games. We run viewer games every single week. So if people just want to come in and test the water and learn something new, especially if it's a viewer game, there's always going to be shenanigans galore, and it's going to be fun. So. The best way to actually get in on one of those is drop Scrat a DM on Twitter and he'll get you a game straight up. It's no one gets turned away. It's yes, we'll get you a game. That's fantastic. Uh, where where uh, on Twitter can, can they look up you? Can they look up Scrat? What's, uh, what's the best handle to go to? Yeah, um, the best one is probably uh, Scrat to go to, which is literally Scraticus underscore 
um, on Twitter. And I'm White Rabbit Pick, but you'll see me on there. I'm I'm always there lurking in the background. So, yeah. Excellent. It's really, yeah, it's the best place to go. <laughs> And uh, what, what's the what's the Twitch channel? So people, I'm, I'm sure they'll figure it out. But what, you know, it's it's just Scraticus, right? It's just Scraticus, literally just Scraticus. That's where you'll find us. Excellent. Uh, I won't spell it, but it does have two T's in it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, again, thank you. Uh, always uh, great to uh, speak to fans from across the pond, uh, and uh, we will do everything we can to get more folks in the UK as well as in Europe uh, playing uh, more more RPGs but welcome to you know the the, the American community uh, as well and hopefully we'll make this a whole global movement very soon absolutely thank you uh, that was an amazing interview uh, with Alice thank you so much uh, for calling in and joining it I love all of the work uh, that you are doing uh, they are playing uh, more than uh, 10 sessions of RPG content a week uh, at Scraticus Academy uh, tons of different systems lots of different people bringing in uh, new players all the time and so it's uh, very gratifying and uh, I, I, I wish them all the success it's doing really great that's yeah, fabulous yeah. I'm thinking, wow, I, I want to I wanna play that much. <laughs> That's what I was starting to think. I was like, wait a second, we don't even play that much. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we obviously do lots of play tests and play as much as we can, but man, that is a lot. A whole, whole lot. But I mean, it sounds like a game convention, but like stretched out over a week and then another week and, and then another, another week, week, right? Wow, that's uh, dreamy. I know, it's almost what people uh, think it's like to work on Dungeons & Dragons. Like, oh, you just play games all day. Yes. How many times have you gotten that question? Oh, God, all the time. And, and I just think, if only. <laughs> uh, no, we, it is a lot of work. And uh, I mean, as you know, m- most of our time is actually spent writing and meeting about the writing that we're going to do. Yeah. Uh, some play testing, uh, then. But more even meetings. the play testing is, I mean, it's fun. It, we can definitely have a good time when we play test, but by no means is it like all fun and games. <laughs> right. We right. have to, you know, think about things critically, and it's not, it's a lot of discussion while we're doing the play testing and things like that. So it is, is, is also work when that happens. And often the play test ends with somebody having, or multiple somebody's having to write a report about the play test we just did. Right. Uh, so that we can make good adjustments in our games based on that testing. Play begets work, begets more play, begets more work. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a wonderful job, but contrary to what many people think, we aren't just playing D&D all day long. Maybe we should. Maybe we should just do that. I would love that. Let's just do like a week where everybody in the office, uh, and all of which is the coast, just plays games <laughs> <laughs> nonstop. All right. We're going to make that happen. Um, is there any other thing we wanted to chat about before we close this out? Uh, anything that you're working on that you wanted to... Uh, 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 talk about actually not working on, but things that you're excited about. Well, Baldur's Gate three, we definitely we only mentioned that a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, but we're very excited about uh, that announcement. Uh, Larian, we've been working with for a long time on uh, this game. I'm so glad we were able to keep it as uh, under wraps as we were able to, because it has been several years that we have known that this was coming. Yeah, uh, and have had members of our department working with Larian, and so yeah, it's it's thrilling that it's finally out there, and so gratifying that people are are psyched about this game coming out. Watching that trailer, uh, wonderfully horrifying, and I just keep thinking, uh, 
there's going to be big business for orthodontia uh, <laughs> in Baldur's Gate. Because <laughs> for some, is that the noun version, the orthodontia? Because, <laughs> <laughs> yes. because for for me, I don't know what it is. There's something about those teeth that, yeah. like, that is what sticks in my mind. That like image where he's got them in his hands. Yes. Well, Ugh. it's just so horrifying the idea that your teeth would be popping out. Oh, gross. Well, for me, it's that like. The the I mean and we're describing a little bit of uh, a body horror thing so yes. I apologize if <clears throat> if uh, we're catching you unawares from from the uh, trailer for Baldur's Gate three that Larry and Les put out but it's that the the expansion of the tentacles coming from uh, the face that that got me yes yeah gross uh, but you know mind flayers are gross they, and they they are gross and they are horrifying I I've seen some people online uh, you know pondering oh you know is that how mind flayers come to be sure is and if people are curious about the horrors of how mind flayers come to be uh, we have a whole chapter on it in uh, Volo's Guide to Monsters that's right uh, where we talk all about how they uh, transform other creatures uh, into themselves uh, they they are a nasty nasty folk they are indeed and there is uh, a, a bit of a different process that is shown in the trailer Right, I mean that's not that's not how it's described exactly in Volo's Guide to Monsters, and it, you'll find out exactly why that right. is uh, at some point. I'm not going to say when, but in the in the future, you'll know. And we are definitely aware that it is different from how it is uh, exactly described in Volo's. So there are some some big fans on the Twitters who have pointed that out, and uh, I, you know, I, I I salute you. But but even to those fans, I bring up Volo's because the the principle is is the same. That's true. That that. Uh, they are uh, they are taking over others uh, for their own uses. And as a uh, you know big video gamer, we often talk about all of the the uh, games that you're playing, and, and you make wonderful recommendations for me to jump in onto various RPGs out there. Uh, were you a fan of the uh, Baldur's Gate one and two? Did you play those a bunch back when they came out? So. I didn't. And really? Yeah. The reason was I didn't have a computer oh, that yeah. that was really uh, game capable. Uh, so I didn't finally play Baldur's Gate one until years later, and I, I'm trying to remember. But at some point, it came. It was re-released, mm-hmm. and I finally played it. Now I did have some friends who played it. I would occasionally, you know, watch them because uh, I had several friends who had uh, either you know a PC or. Years ago, I also had a friend with a Commodore Amiga. Oh, Amiga! Yeah, where I would get to watch games on you know on that computer. Yeah. Uh, so I finally got to try it uh, many years later, uh, and of course was you know wowed by the depth of it, how much of D and D made it into the game, mm-hmm. uh, and then you can see to this day the influence of Baldur's Gate one and two in so many other video games for sure. Uh, and also just the influence of D&D, uh, be, partly because the Baldur's Gate games do such a great job of communicating uh, what different aspects of the D&D play experience feel like. Yeah. Uh, and when working with Larian, it was important for us that 5th edition be expressed yeah. in Baldur's Gate 3, but it's also good for people to know it is not meant to be like an exact simulation of fifth edition uh, because as much as we love the game we make, 
we made it for a tabletop experience. And so it's important for, in our minds, a video game to be the best video game experience right. and not just sort of a facsimile of an entirely different game. Yeah. We, we have been uh, trying to put out there that it's based on 5th edition spells and mechanics uh, of D&D, but it is going to be the, uh, the, the version of it that works the best for a digital uh, audience. Exactly. Right. And, and I think what is great about those, you know, first Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2 was the, uh, for me, it was the storytelling that ha- wasn't even the most epic storytelling. I liked the fact that you could go on these weird tangents or do things that didn't have anything to do with progressing the overall epic story, mm-hmm. uh, but could investigate these companions and their stories. And, and uh, you know, obviously Minsk and Boo is, are, are, are often put on a, a pedestal as being the most memorable, but it was because at the time, they were so strange and weird, and it wasn't the type of thing you experienced in video games to have uh, this combo uh, character type thing. And uh, so those are the most memorable things, and I think those are what has inspired uh, you know tons of CRPGs to emulate, and I think what Larian is going to be picking up and running with uh, when people find out more about what's happening with Baldur's Gate 3. And that, that side content is always my doom in, <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> in an RPG. That's all, I will just do that. Yep. So, you know, I'm, I'm imagining when I'm sitting down to glory in all of the content in Baldur's Gate 3, you know, I'm going to be faced by all, you know, this epic story, all these horrors that need to be stopped. But they're like, oh, you need me to save this dog? You know? <laughs> 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 that's so D and D. There is uh, I, just to bring it back full circle to uh, my campaign that's going on in Dragon Heist uh, right now, and the water deep wazoo uh, physical object that is in the uh, platinum edition uh, that Beetle and Green put out. Uh, there's a lost dog in one 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 moment, and my party has always been like, "Well, what are we going to do now?" And they're like, "Well." There's that dog. Yep. You can try to find that dog. Yep. And it's a jo- running joke that goes on forever and ever. And, and you're right. That is, for whatever reason, the thing that latched on uh, uh, to players in, in that type of stuff. And that's, that's D&D to a T. Mm-hmm. Well, Jeremy, how can people uh, find out about what you're doing, follow you, ask you tons of questions about what dogs they can save? Uh, the best place is on Twitter where I am Jeremy E. Crawford. I apologize for tagging you in something where it was just at Crawford. <laughs> or and, something like that, and, or is Jeremy E, or is some I, weird auto-corrected version I, of that tag. I was actually fine with it. I was just feeling for that other person <laughs> because <laughs> they're like, well, what is this Dungeons and Dragons stuff? <laughs> if they don't know now, they know They know what's happening. What's up? Uh, you can follow uh, me. I'm at Greg Tito. If you want to find out more information about what's happening with D&D, there's always DungeonsandDragons.com. You can follow... Uh, on Twitter, Wizards underscore DND. A new issue of Dragon Plus is coming out very soon, if not already by the time you listen to this in podcast form. You can download that to your Android or iOS device uh, from the various app stores, or you can get that content on the web at dragonmag.com. Barkella does a wonderful job putting all that together, and thanks to Jeremy for appearing on the Dragon Plus show uh, as, a, as a semi-regular to talk through Unearthed Arcana and all the fun stuff that's going on there for Sage Advice. Uh, so look for some of that content coming out very soon. Uh, and I want to give a shout-out to Shelly Moo. Uh, you should follow her and uh, make sure she's doing all right. Uh, she will be returning next week as we talk to some more fun folks in the community. All right. Well, there's only one thing to do, and that is to. Uh, can you? Is that? Is there was rocks going to? Oh gosh! Oh god! Oh no! They're all falling. They're not. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> and it's a Baldur's Gate two reference. <laughs>